Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Joining me for Nuggets Numbers this week, I had a very special guest for a very special episode. This is the last player profile that I will be doing on the Nuggets rotation this year on Michael Porter Jr. I knew I had to bring on somebody whose opinion that I trust and respect, and Adam just wasn't going to cut it last week, so I got on the other voice of the Locked on Nuggets podcast. It's Matt Moore at HP Basketball. Matt, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I I'm, I could be better. I there I am I'm so ready for this quarantine to be done. I I talked about this with Adam last week, and, and just over these last couple of weeks, it's it's really grown into something that okay, this this was fun for a while. It's uh it's not not really of course, but like quarantine life as as a blogger, it, you don't really change that much. But at some point, I just want to see if we could get back into some basketball, get back into talking about the current Nuggets, talking about the current NBA. And with the last dance going on, it's 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 been entirely uh, 1990s focused. Yeah, I um, I've been. It's weird because like when I go out to go to the store, run errands, or whatever, um, I haven't been listening to basketball stuff. Like I've just kind of like withdrawn a little bit from it because I'm. I think part of my thing is like I don't want to think about how much it's not there. Like I don't want to focus on this big gigantic weird hole in my life or basketball. Sure. Um. But like it started to turn a little bit more recently and then I'm working on a Jokic thing. So I was sitting down and watching all of his possessions today and just being like, man, I miss basketball. Like I, I <laughs> they're just, the nuggets were fun as much as the season has been uh, complicated and stressful, I think for the team in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm definitely itching for watching a full game between modern participants with story still yet to be written it is always interesting to to think about it from that perspective because especially with the last dance going on we've been able to revisit a lot of those stories and i i think that's great and there there's a lot of history that i think we can learn from and connect to but a lot of it like you said modern basketball has completely changed and focusing on some of those past things like Jokic would have been great in that era don't get me wrong but there are so many just it, it's it's a it's a completely different world. It's something that I wouldn't be comfortable in covering as a blogger, as as an analyst, an aspiring analyst in basketball. It's just, it's just so different. And one of the things that actually just breaking off of basketball completely that I've seen you doing over for the Action Network is some Overwatch stuff and just just doing some video game talk. I'm a big video game guy. I, I love doing Call of Duty. My, my favorite thing right now is Assassin's Creed. What got you into covering Overwatch for the Action Network? Uh, we need something to bet on. And it's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so like I, I, as a, 
you know, I needed something to take to have like off time where I wasn't just reading and watching basketball. And so I picked up Overwatch like when it came out five years ago and uh, it just really resonated with me and stuck with me. It's not my favorite game of all time, but it's, I think uh, it's my favorite game to play. It's just something that's, I probably would have phased out of it by now if it weren't for the fact that I've gotten friends that are now into it. And so we sure meet up and like just talk about life while playing and that's become really a nice distraction um but yeah i actually i found that the overwatch line overwatch league lines are actually pretty soft so there's opportunity for money to be made there so been betting on it doing pretty well <laughs> content so. that's awesome that's a that is that is a a better's paradise right there that's awesome man i'm, I'm glad that that could that could take place like that I, I i love assassin's creed i never got into overwatch that's one of the games that I, I don't have a PS4. I believe it's PS4 exclusive, right? Uh, no, it's uh, for Xbox as well. Oh, well then, that's something I got to do. And also, I, I know you've talked about Zelda Breath of the Wild for Nintendo Switch. That's something that you play with your kid, is that correct? Yeah, so my uh, just turned... Uh, God, did he just turn nine? Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Nine-year-old uh, is very much a video game kid. And so I was like, okay, we got, he got a switch for Christmas and he had, he was, he's the kind of kid that like he fixates on one thing. So he was playing Pokemon like over and over and over again. I was like, okay, I have a new game with you. I want to play with you. <laughs> I love I, that. He's like, yeah, I guess he's like, I like the games I like. And I was like, you're going to like this game. He's like, I don't know. And I was like, you're going to like this game. Everyone likes Zelda. It's impossible not to like legend of Zelda. Um, and we played it and like the first three days, he's just like completely hooked. It's gotten, it's been really great because I've used it as leverage to get him to do his homework. So he has to finish his homework before he gets to play breath of the wild. And he races through getting his homework done and is just like all on top of it. And I'm like, we have chores and he's like, I already did them. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, that's one way to tell That's one way to teach it. That's awesome. So like I'll work for a couple of hours and then we'll take like an hour and, and play and play breath of the wild and then go for a walk and then come back and he'll play for a while. And, um, it's been really cool. Cause I called my brother who's 11 years older than me, but he used to take care of me. And we would play when he was like 16 and I was five. Um, we played legend of Zelda together for like NES. We would play like the first Zelda together. Right. Um, and he's like, this is really wild that you're playing this like 30th, like 30th edition of this game or whatever, however many it is 15th or whatever with your kid after we played the first one for NES. So it's been cool to see like uh, that kind of handed down because that's part of it is um, like my kid's not, not huge into sports. Like I think my daughter's going to be really big into sports. I think she's going to be, a, she's, she's, she, she's going to be like a rollerball girl, but like, right. uh, but my kids is not, my son's just not very much into sports. And so this has been something that we've been able to connect over. Um, and that's been really fun. No, it's awesome. I, I, as you know, like, video games are, are so connective in, in so many different ways. And you can either play games with people that are, that are in your, in your place, or you can connect online and, and that's a whole other conversation. And I'm sure that you're probably not wanting to do that as often because he's nine right now. So that can, that can definitely wait a little bit, but I, I look forward to eventually teaching Harry Potter to my kids, bringing, bringing them in through those books and then in through some video games, whether it's Pokemon, it could be Zelda, it could be Breath of the Wild. Do you think that's worth just getting the Nintendo Switch just for that game? Yeah, it's been, I mean, it really is just in terms of the gameplay, because I'm very interested in game design. 
uh, and like just the way that it's been built is is amazing. It's one of it's one of uh, honestly like I read all the reviews, which were obviously stellar for it, but it's been genuinely one of the best games I think I've ever played in terms of how it's designed, the feel of playing it. Like it's it's an incredible piece of art, uh, quite honestly. Okay, okay, I got to put it on the list then. That's awesome. Um, okay, well. Unfortunately, I would love to talk about video games the entire time. That, that's that's my jam. But we got to talk about MPJ because this is the last player profile that that I want to do for Denver Stiffs on, on Nuggets numbers. And he has been one of the most, like, I think franchise changing is possibly maybe selling it a little bit too high. But I don't know. Do you think selling it as franchise changing his rookie season, is that too high for you? So that's an interesting question uh, because like, it, okay, is the, is the franchise different now because of him from when he was drafted? No. Do I think that the franchise will be different over the next five years because of him if he stays healthy? Yes. Um, so like I've been on record pretty succinctly over the last six months saying the team's going to look different next year. And a large part of it is because like MPJ is going to wind up starting and that fundamentally reshifts your team. Um, they're not going to be the same team because of what Michael Porter Jr. presents and what it brings to the table. Um, I think even they've had a hard time of trying to understand like what exactly he means for them, like what he's going to be. I think that they're still trying to figure out how, if this is going to work, how it's going to work. And there's a lot of questions yet to be answered, but his skill level is so high. His right. impact is so strong that it's hard for me not to believe that we will look back and say, well, they drafted MPJ and so X, Y, Z, even if at the moment it feels very nebulous, like, well, he could be, but maybe not. And like, he probably should be, but I don't know if they will. I think we'll look back and think that he was, a franchise changing player. I don't think that he's been a franchise changing player up until now. Sure. And, and a lot of those decisions, like you said, they're, they're going to take a little bit of time. So much of this, ha it, it can't just happen over the next six months. Uh, a lot of what he's going to become, if at least what we think he could become a lot of what we think he could be, it, it just takes time. And so many of these players, while they do show those things, it, has he shown, like, give me your overview on your MPJ perspective. Like when, when you first saw him in training camp, you, you were down there in Colorado Springs, just like me, uh, to today, like, what have we saw, what have we seen over that time that has drastically shifted our perspective to this point? Because I had no idea what to expect when I was down there and, and he completely sh shifted everything for me. I think so. I've been like the slowest to adapt for him. And the reason is like, I tend to take that viewpoint with young players anyway, because I think that we get too sucked into the idea of potential and the idea of like of sight unseen. Like there's as frustrating as his minutes restriction has been for Nuggets fans and has been too arduous. I would, I would argue like they've been too dead. Like Malone's been too restrictive with it, been too conservative with him. Uh, at the same time, that's also protected him from exposure to his weaknesses, right? Like, right. And he has a good game. It's incredible. And all the other times it's like, well, he didn't even really play. So you can't really say. And, 
you know, there've been a few, I think, especially after the all-star break that we, we really kind of saw like he was not healthy and he wasn't playing well. And it was like, he genuinely was not like, he wasn't helping. Uh, but that was right. the only throughout the year. I think for me in preseason, I asked someone in the front office, I was like, look, I haven't asked this because I didn't, I left it alone when they drafted him through the workouts. Like I asked a little bit last year, um, summer league, the whole way. And then this preseason, I was like, okay, like I've, I've left this alone as to not contribute to the hype either way. What's he been like in the preseason runs? And they're just, and the response was actually really interesting because they were just like, he's a way better rebounder than we thought. And that's going to help him get on the floor. And he needed to be able to do anything other than just get buckets because we have a bunch of guys that can do that, which is funny because sure. we really don't have a bunch of guys that can do that because they don't have shooters. But they do have like a bunch of NBA guys that know how to get, that know how to, that can produce scores. Um, and so, like, the players I think were, it's the players I think are really fascinating because they're simultaneously like, a, he talks so much about how good he is, he's got a long way to learn but there's also a real recognition of the talent that's there. Like there's a real recognition of there are things he can do that the rest of us can't, that other guys can't do. And that was apparent when you've like asked players about it, or if you got little indications from people around the staff that he shows potential to do things, which nobody can do because they're elite skills. Um, and then as the season went on, you know, it was like a good game here, a good game there, a good moment. And then like, he just went like for the first like real stretch of the season. And I recorded a podcast where I was like, look, he's not making shots. And he wasn't like in December. Right. It was like, look, he's not making shots. If he's not making shots. There's no value to him. He's not going to help you on defense. He's not going to move the ball. Like he's a good, he's been a willing passer, but he's not like, Oh wow. He makes such great reads. It's just like, okay, he made the basic pass. That you need him to. Um, he's not a threat because the other teams don't consider him because they don't know how to scout him. And he hasn't made shots. And then he started making shots and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, okay, well this is who he is. And once he got comfortable, we saw what he was capable of. For me, the big takeaway is just when I've described him to people uh, outside of the market, it's look, there are very few guys I know that can come in and go eight of 10 from the field with his level of experience, like right. eight of 10 starts nine of nine, 11 of 12, um, seven of 12, like his efficiency ceiling is stellar. Like if you told me next year that he shot 15 of 16 from the floor, I'm not going to be like, wow. I'm going to be like, yeah, all right. That sounds like what he can do because a lot of is he feels he's been more physical than we thought he would be because he's been way more athletic and stronger at getting to the rim, which is a credit to the, the training staff and him for getting ready for the physicality of the NBA. He's not weak. Um, and so he has high efficiency opportunities because he's flushing dunks. And then his shots incredible. Like his shots just mind bending. And so uh, I went from in preseason being like, yes, if he's everything that he is capable of being, he could be a transformational player for this team. But there's so many ifs we got to get through before we get there. To by the time that the league was suspended, I'm already in like, he's going to be the next all star for the team. And he is the secret to them being able to win a championship. It is crazy that it, it moved from such a place of unknown to a place where you can make a lot of definitive statements like that, where it, it didn't take, it didn't really take a lot for him to start putting together these performances for him to start really showcasing the diverse skill set of shots that he has. You mentioned the field goal percentage at the rim. 
or actually I'll, I'll mention the field goal percentage at the rim. He was at 64% this year. And as a rookie, that's really, really good. And, and you look back at some of these other guys, Jason Tatum was at 59% his rookie year. He's always had some issues finishing at the rim. Brandon Ingram was at 58%. Those guys have grown into all-stars and, and really capable players and Porter being even better than those guys at 64%. Now, some of that is assisted by Jokic, and that really helps, but he didn't play a lot of his minutes with Jokic. He just played enough, and he showed so many things that I wasn't expecting from him initially. The shot profile is one of them. He was able to get all the way to the rim, wasn't settling for a lot of those mid-range floaters, the, the leaning turnarounds, despite the fact that he could make those shots, despite the fact that he, he showed a willingness and an ability to be able to make that shot. And there are a lot of players that are willing to take those, but there are not as many that can make them with the efficiency that he was making them. And, and that was really, really impressive to me. You mentioned the rebounding, of course. That was completely out of nowhere for me. And some of the stats that they that the front office had, I know, projected that he could be a good rebounder, that that could be that could be something that he really does well. But I don't even think that they were expecting him to be as dynamic of a rebounder as he is. He could technically play some minutes at power forward for this team, and they would probably be okay. You don't want to do that for long stretches of time, of course, and that's why the roster building around him is going to be so interesting. But I'm I'm very comfortable saying that he's going to be a star. That's that's not something I thought I would say at the beginning of the year, but but over the course of the last couple of months, he he really earned it. I think there's a long way to go. I think if you ask me, will he be a star? I'd say like probabilities are sixty-five, thirty-five. Okay, uh, it's good. Thirty-five percent, like twenty percent of that's injury, and then like fifteen percent is. Like there are a, a couple of numbers that you can actually find to be like, well, okay, let's let's slow down a little bit. Like for instance, um, like Synergy's tracking is uh, can be suspect in in regards, and so that's something to definitely consider as we like evaluate this stuff. We can put caveats on it. Um, off the dribble, he shot eight of thirty this year. So jump shots off, off the dribble, eight of 16 percent, sixteenth percentile rather league wide, with only a point six three three points per possession mark. That's horrible. Um, jump shots overall though, he's at 42% with a 56% effective field goal percentage. That's 87th percentile. That's awesome. Uh, catch and shoot. He was 91st percentile with a 1.303 points mark hotter than the sun. Um, Dude is like seven foot. <laughs> yeah. And from mid range, Synergy's got him at 10 and 19. Uh, I don't know what NBA has got him at. And then short-range jump shots, he shot just 6 of 20. So that's a lot of it, right? It's like if he can't get to the rim, he doesn't have those counters yet. But you can build those in, and he will figure those out as they go. Um, another interesting number I thought was, was was surprising was offensive rebounds. So he has all these putbacks, and they're, they look like – and they, they feel like these very big game-changing plays, and he had a ton of them. He did have a ton of them relative to his minutes, but he did only shoot 20 of 40 on them. That's only 50% and that's only uh, 29th percentile league wide. So like there are some signs that even though he was stronger than I expected, some of the size in the lane did deter him. Now, part of that is impacted by the fact that the Nuggets couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat this season. So True. teams in the paint to try and stop Jokic and that makes things harder for MPJ. And likewise, like, no one's going to be spreading the floor with MPJ or with Plumlee on there. And if you have Plumlee and Grant or Plumlee and Millsap, especially with any line featuring Craig, 
your lane's going to be pretty camped as well. So like all of these things are, are conditional on, yes, you will get more opportunities and yes, you will probably get better, but there are some shortcomings there. And I only say that to say like, he can get past them, but not all guys, like this is the big thing when I talk about how to evaluate young players, don't assume they will improve at everything they can improve at. Assume that they'll probably improve on a lot of things that they can, but not everything. Um, and so like, that's really the thing is like, you don't want for this all to be like this insane package of skills. And at the end of it, it's like, well, he's really good when he spots up, but off the dribble, he's actually not that efficient of a score. Now, again, seven feet tall, like 6'11", 6'10", whatever, however tall he is, sorry, 6'10", like the kid has a profile of like going to be an elite shooter for sure. But um, we have to see him actually do it. And the same guys that shot poorly as a rookie and shot great later their rookie percentages were the same as the guys that shot poorly as a rookie and shot badly later. And again, sure. like, I think he'll improve, but I do think these are things that he's going to have to pick on. There's a long list of things that he has to improve on. This is one of the reasons I disagree with like some of our colleagues. I don't think that right now he's as plug and play as we kind of tend to act like he is. I think that it would be a, like the minutes cover the fact that he's a lot more inconsistent in the broader profile, um, then we kind of act like he is because his, his good performances are mind shattering. Like they're just, they're stunning. Like for sure. You know, like the Minnesota game, he plays 30 minutes. He's a plus 17 scoring 20 points on seven to 12. And that that's not even the Indiana game, which is like the signature game of the season for him. You know, he gets 18 versus the warriors going six to 10 and, um, and, and shooting three of three from three point range. And he, he's got all of these performances where he showed like he just goes off. And the big thing is the translation is going to have to be going from uh, a high variance performance to a consistent performance. And that's what the next four years are going to be so key with him about. And this was a lot of the discussion about Nikola Jokic at the beginning where Kevin Durant was one of the main guys who was saying, okay, hey, he, he has the tools. He certainly has the ability to be a superstar, but the next step is really about putting it all together, making sure that you show up every night. Even Jokic still has a, a, some, some issues doing that, especially at the beginning of years. Uh, Jamal Murray is the same way. And I've, I've certainly been more of a defendant of Murray than anybody. And I think he's, he's made some strides there, but it's, it's still, it's still a work in progress. And he, as a young player still has a ways to go there with Porter. It's just going to be a process. Like you said, the Nuggets had to go through growing pains with both Jokic and Murray to get to the points where they are right now. It wouldn't surprise me if like, like you said, next year, it's, it's not as cut and dry as everybody thinks it is despite the talent being there, it could be, Hey, he's putting up 30 point games every now and then, but Oh, he also put up four points on two of 17 shooting and he, he may not go that far, but, but it, it could get, it could get a little wild. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your viewpoint on this one. Let's say the playoffs do come back. Let's say the nuggets make two rounds worth of games and they play 12 total playoff games. How many of those do you think, MPJ's cracking 15 minutes in, or at least getting significant rotation time. Well, I asked the question at Michael Malone after the all-star break of if uh, MPJ was in the playoff rotation, he said, absolutely. He is. So mm. clearly that just, that's just open and shut. <laughs> Chance to, as he said that we definitely have to get him minutes and then didn't play him hardly at all the next four games. 
Um, I think, all right, look, if they play 12, uh, I'll say six of them. He cracks 15. Um, hmm. So Mo knows more about basketball than I think I'm ever going to. And so does Tim Conley. Uh, and so does Tommy Balsettis. And so does Calvin Booth and all those guys. So is Josh Kroenke, for that matter. At some point, whether it is before the playoffs or before next season, there is going to have to be a come-to-Jesus meeting with Malone. Um, not to say that I don't think Malone knows this, because I have been of the opinion that the reason Mo has treated him the way that he has this year is because he sees the long-term picture of what it's going to be like with MPJ. And that if he wants to get him to be a part of a team concept and to play within a system and to play defense, he's going to do it now because the minute that kid makes an all-star team, his chances of being able to exert influence is going to go way down. However, at the same time, I am of the opinion the only way that the Denver Nuggets this season are able to make the Western Conference Finals and or the Finals is if MPJ plays heavy minutes and is a decision and is a a swing vote is a is an X factor is a deciding measure for them, which that's not reasonable to put on a rookie, which is why like they're probably not going to happen this year. But sure. next year, I think it's that's where the the, the focus kind of has to be. Um, I think th this has always been kind of my I'm not I haven't asked Malone about this. I don't have this or anybody else with the coaching staff. My assumption would be that if the Nuggets are in a position where they need um, a 21-year-old rookie who has not played professional or long-term organized basketball in two seasons because of a major back injury that held him out his entire year of college and all of his first NBA season on contract. If they need that guy to save them in a playoff series, they are already boned. Like they are already screwed, for sure. For I think sure. that's argue, and it's like, yeah, but like he could do. It's like, well, okay, but even if you you manage to get past one series, or even if it, like it swings the Clippers series, then great. Like that'd be the ideal, right? Is they play the Clippers close enough to where it's like you could have won without MPJ, but MPJ made sure you won versus the Clippers. That's like the ideal situation. It's like those fifteen minutes, those twenty minutes that he played in games three, game six, game seven really wound up being the difference because he hit huge shots over Kawhi or whoever else, which he has the capacity to do. But I think like trying to get that level of, we have to rely on this kid is just too much to ask of a veteran playoff team led by a veteran playoff coach. I just do not think that that's a situation that is tenable. So like, do I think he plays? I do because Malone is smart enough to realize after two games, like this is what he kind of showed last year in the playoffs. He's not going to run his head into the wall three times in a row. He'll run his head into the wall twice. He <laughs> and eventually he will get to the point where he's like, we got to do something. The bench is just getting absolutely annihilated. We're not scoring. Like we went five minutes in the third quarter without at the end of the third without scoring. And they got back in the game. I got to get the kids some minutes and see if he can provide the spark. And I think that that, will open the door for MPJ to do things and get him some minutes. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. I I probably would have even gotten less on the number of games that he would he would crack that num- amount of time, just because I I think it like you said he's kind of a break in case of emergency option for for this team in at least this season, and and that's okay. This this team had to learn that. This team had to learn that they probably weren't good enough to compete with the likes of the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks and some of these juggernauts that are that are currently trying to claim the NBA right now. And and that's fine. Like when you have to go up against LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, like it, you have to have the perfect formula in order to get there. And it, it, to me, it looks like the nuggets didn't to me. It looks like they, they need at least a little bit more time. Jamal Murray needs to make some improvements. Nikola Jokic needs to hit that final step of his development. And, and there, there are still other pieces on the roster that, that probably weren't going to allow Denver to hit that final frontier. That's okay. Um, so with, with regards to MPJ and his minutes, um, what is the percentage that you would give this team not starting him next year? Because I think that there is at least an argument that he doesn't, especially if this team did really well in the playoffs where they, they have a good formula going. You don't want to screw it up just yet. You can get Paul Millsap back for a cheap deal. You just want to run it back because Gary Harris and Will Barton looked awesome. So if he was in that position, like, do you, do you think that's a likely thing? Do you think that's that's unlikely? What Where are you at with them if they, if they decided they wanted to run it back? So I'm of the opinion he starts next year, but I'm not going to be surprised at all if he doesn't. Um, like, it would not be like, I can't believe it. Um, I think because, like, here's kind of the dynamic in play. We were talking about, like, the playoffs in that situation. Like you said, if they do make a run and they do look good, a lot of it's just going to be Malone's going to want to give this team an opportunity, right? Sure. Like, he wants – and the organization does too. Like, everybody wants to give this team a chance because of what they accomplished last year, making second in the West and forcing a game seven versus Portland and, you know, recovering from that horrible game three nightmare, um, which was such a painful heartbreaker loss and, and battling back in game four and getting to a game seven and then getting beat by Evan Turner and, and Myers Leonard. Like, they want to give them an opportunity with some confidence and some experience under their belt to show what they can do. And – if they do show that they can win, then yeah, then you're like, well, we don't need him. So you know what? Like he's not better right now. I just happen to be of the belief that I think the front office recognizes the opportunity for this team to win a championship and that it's going to require uh, taking some risks and making some moves and shifting the dynamic I think they understand that MPJ is a future and you're doing nothing but prolong his ascension by keeping him on the bench. The problem is like, I don't know if Mo is in the same mindset. Like I don't know if Malone is in the same headspace as far as that goes. Like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't asked him. Right. Like I don't, I don't have any sort of inclination from anybody around the staff or around the team of like where he is with MPJ. Uh, I don't know if he's just like, he's going to be a star. Like he, he says all the right things because Malone's really good at saying all the right things. But I, I don't know if he's in a place where he's just going to be like, e, like, no, like I had this year, but next year he's got to start. Part of it also is up to MBJ because if he comes in into training camp healthy and he just whips everybody because he works on his game all summer and comes in with NBA confidence, another year of strength and conditioning and improved skill set. 
there's just not going to be much of an argument. Uh, even that if, has to be that has to be the best case scenario, right? Like he's, if if he if he leaves the competition open, if he says, "Okay, hey, this is your opportunity, go get it," and Michael Porter Jr. goes and takes that opportunity. But I also think at some level, that's also going to be um, there may be a move that makes this easy. If you're the front office and you don't, you're never going to tell the front office will never tell Malone who to play. Like they will make moves and, and recommendations. But to like, to my understanding, there has never been like an edict of like, you have to do this. There's been like, we would strongly prefer you did X. Uh, Cause they oh. work, work together. And so that if you're going to get around that, we can look back at previous situations, uh, 2000 and, 17, 2018, 19. No, 17, 18. There we go. The preseason of 2017, 18. The assumption was Jamal Murray is going to start. Like it's his job to lose because sure. he's the next guy. But they went into training camp. Jameer Nelson kicked his ass again. And like it became obvious, like Jameer's the best point guard on the roster. He's just better. Jameer's the best player on the best point guard on the roster. There's no getting around it. Jamal's not better than him right now. You know, Emmanuel Moutier is not the, not better than him right now. And so the front office was like, "Okay, well, we can't have this. So we're just gonna let we're just gonna get rid of Jameer, and <laughs> you're gonna have to play him. Like you're gonna have to play Jamal. Um, and uh, it, was, yeah. it was the right decision. It it was the right decision for the future." But that's like the kind of situation you're in now. It was like, MB, if if everybody is still on roster that's on roster right now, which I don't think they will be, but if everybody's on roster right now that is, then MPJ is going to have to go in there and he's going to have to be better than Will Barton. Or he's going to have to be better than, than Gary Harris and have them move Will Barton to two so that they can get MPJ in the three. That's it. Like, he has to outperform those guys. So the alternative is, okay, well, if a deal is made and now all of a sudden – there's room on the roster for MPJ to just slide into the three spot because we don't have as many guys. We don't have as many wings. Okay. Then that, you know, we upgraded the two spot and the three spots open, but that also requires a very like painful move for the organization in moving Will Barton. Like that's one of the things I've struggled with too, is like, do I think Will Barton's going to get traded? I was like, not unless it's a deal breaker for a superstar. Like that's the only way that that deal gets done because they love Will, and the team loves Will, and Tim Conley definitely loves Will. And so, like, that's the only situation, is, like, if he gets included. And so if he's not included in any sort of trade, and he's still on roster, does Will go back to being a bench guy? Because I don't know if he wants to do that at this point in his career. And that's where things kind of get messy. And that that might be the situation where MPJ comes off the bench, is if uh, Will's still on the team next year, and he just – like he's better in camp and there's, they can't justify putting MPJ over him because you're trying to win games now. And that, that to me is how MPJ could continue to come off the bench, but all it take is like one injury and then MPJ starting the rest of the year. that out real quick the, the, 
the trading for a guy. I, I, I've talked about trading for, for various players on, on various podcasts, and and that all the names are, are out there. It's Bradley Beal, it's Drew Holiday, it's Zach Levine, it's uh, pick, pick a guy, Chris Paul, if, if you want to go out of Morris route. Um, I don't know how that affects Porter and how that affects a team that has Murray, Porter, and Jokic and what it looks like if a team that has those three guys, that wants those three guys to be stars, that doesn't want to trade any of those three guys in a deal like that, what happens if that team gets a Bradley Beal? How does that affect a guy like Porter who wants to be a star but only gets the touches of a fourth option? Uh, what, what do you think a trade like that would do to Denver's starting lineup, and, and how would they handle that? Would they handle it well? So a lot of it is um... – you, you have to look at it and go, okay, so what's going to happen in this situation? Let's say I had Beal, okay? <clears throat> Beal's in his prime, wants to win now, is willing, like has made his money, has been the guy, has gotten the numbers. It wasn't fulfilling for him. He didn't make all-star. Wasn't the path he wanted. He's been a part of a team where he wasn't the guy and was like, he was happy to just go in there and get his points and do his thing and continue being a better player and make the playoffs and competed. And those Wizards teams were underrated. Uh, so in that situation, Jokic is going to get his touches because he's the best player on the team. Bradley Beal is going to get his touches because he's the second best player on the team. And now this is to me is the key. This is the key issue is yeah. I think somebody loses shots in that situation, but I don't know if it's Michael Porter jr. And this is the, this is the dynamic. I do not know how this goes. Uh, Jamal Murray is very confident in his abilities. He's been confident since he entered the league. He's been confident since he was a prospect. He is determined and has no self-doubt. The performance has not always warranted that kind of an approach. And he seems to thrive in very specific situations. Like if you tailor absolutely everything to him with Jokic, then he could put up some big numbers. And he could be great, but if you're asking him to be versatile and adapt to different changing circumstances, he doesn't seem as comfortable. He's still effective because he also, there's a lot of things that suggest he's better that way, but I don't think he's happy. So that's kind of the problem with Jamal at this point is like, I think he's better off in a role that he's not going to be happy with. I think that makes him the most effective NBA player he can be. I think if he's starting in a backcourt Bradley Beal and he's mostly a backup weapon where he does not have to create everything and he doesn't have to be the initiator and he doesn't have to set the floor and he doesn't have to handle that much. I think he can be killer finding little gaps in the defense, filling it up, you know, playing in that role of just like a spark plug that comes in and is just providing firepower in these stints. I think that's an awesome role for him. Uh, I think that inevitably, like if you have your choice between Jamal Murray or Michael Porter jr, who's just simply taller, like beyond else, he's just taller. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big factor and it's something that I think a lot of people overlook in this discussion that the, the best players in the NBA are usually the ones that can shoot over or get around or go through the other guys. And it's always drawn towards that. It's always drawn towards wings and forwards that look exactly like Michael Porter Jr. Right. And you're and and so now like there's there's real tension. Do I think I think Porter will be okay on a team with Jokic and Beal? Because I think that by like if we project out that he's going to be healthy and he's going to make the most of his talent, by the end of that run, Porter would be either the best or second best player on the team. Sure. And that 
and would be natural and would be okay. Like Bill would cover for his inexperience and inconsistency and Porter would be allowed opportunities to thrive because I don't think like Beal's never been a guy that's like, I need the ball in my hands all the time. Like that's not how the wizards ran their offense this year. It's never been like Beal's a two guard. Like he's a two guard and he's fine. Not having the ball all the time. He's going to get his looks and his touches. He's going to make the most of them. I think that works. I think Drew holiday works. And honestly, at this point, like Chris Paul probably works for however long until his motor runs out, which everyone thought was now. And it definitely is not. Chris is, would be totally fine being like, no, I'll just get 12 assists a game. It's fine. Like, I will score 10 points and have 12 assists and be fine. That's fine. If we win, that's fine. For and, sure. you know, I, I think Porter might handle the um, intensity from Chris in difficult ways. I don't know how Jamal would respond to it. But, like, I think Jokic, I used to be really worried about Jokic, and, like, Adam swayed me the other way on it. Adam swayed me that, like, it would be fine between Jokic and Chris, and that's probably that's probably right. I think he's convinced me on that. But I don't know how it goes. You don't really know how these guys are going to react until you're in there with a personality like Chris Paul's. Because, like, I love Chris yeah. Paul. Awesome. It just depends on where Chris is at, too. Like, within Oklahoma City, he's got nothing but rave reviews. Everyone loves him. Front office, coaching staff, training staff, arena staff, the players, the teammates, everybody loves Chris. Like, everybody's happy with, with Chris Paul. Uh, he and Shea Gilders Alexander are tight. He has embraced that kid. And that shows maturity from Chris. I don't know if that continues if he goes to Denver. I just don't. Yeah, I, there, there are a lot of questions by trading for one of these guys, and and sometimes the answer might not be might not be one that Nuggets fans like. It might not be one that keeps this current Murray Porter Jokic dream core together. And even even if those guys played by themselves, even if the Nuggets didn't make another massive move and they just they just moved out one of Harris or Barton to allow Porter to start, Murray Porter Jokic, it still it still could if if both of those guys develop the way that you think they might. It, it could still lead to some tensions. And and I've been one to think that all three of those guys, Murray, Porter, Jokic, could get to the level where they're all scoring 20 points per game. You're staggering minutes, giving each of them an opportunity. Jokic obviously just needs touches. He doesn't need scores. But there, there are ways that you can get around that, and I think that all three of those guys could work. Uh, there, there are also arguments against it, and a lot of that is off the court, as you have mentioned before. Uh, but like you said, if, if you add a new face, if you had somebody who, who's really good and probably helps you win a championship, might not be the best for the, for the long-term picture of those three guys in particular. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle it because all, all year been hearing they've tried to get one of those guys. They've kicked the doors on Bradley Beal. Uh, they've, they've looked into Drew Holiday. They've looked at other various star players and to see if they could fit, to see if there was an upgrade that could be had that makes a lot of sense. And from a talent perspective, those guys would be great. I'm, I'm not sure the fit is perfect, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Okay, let's, let's circle back to Porter real quick. Um, Gun to your head, who gives the Nuggets their best chance to win a title for the next three seasons as the second option to Nikola Jokic? And I picked the next three seasons because that's the length of Nikola Jokic's contract. And I think that's it's important to give them as great of an opportunity as possible. Is it Murray in that situation or is it Porter? 
it's Porter. There's no question. It's Porter. There's no, there's, it's not even a debate. Um, he's taller. <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, look, a lot of it's just Jamal's incredible at doing a lot of the tough stuff. And I've tried to stress on locked on this year, a lot about how impressed I am with what he's improved at. He's a good pick and roll point guard now. He knows how to run that that set. Like if you if you drop, he's gonna he's gonna take the if, if you drop, he's gonna give Jokic the floater. If you blitz him, he's gonna get Jokic the ball in transition, or he's gonna reset. If you uh, hedge and recover, he's probably going to score on you and get to the rim. If you drop on him, if you play drop versus him, he's just gonna rise up and shoot. And like Jamal's really efficient in all these things. He's gotten much better. The problem is that again, you don't see games where he plays the pick and roll game with Jokic and then it translates into the whole team thriving, or he plays part of a role as the whole team is thriving, but Will's the initiator and Jamal's not really running that much pick and roll with Jokic. Like you don't see this very versatile, very dynamic thing with him. Porter, every single time that he steps on the floor, you don't know what he's going to do. Like, you don't know what he's going to do because he does so much stuff. He does a lot more stuff than I thought he was going to. Um, he can shoot he can shoot elbow, post-up, face-up, jumpers over guys. He can drive past them, get to the rack, and dunk it. Uh, he can spot up in the corner. He can pump fake in the corner, drive to the rim, and dunk it. He can hit pit putbacks. Uh, he can hit trailer threes. There's like a million things that Michael Porter Jr. can do. And he makes, this is the biggest thing. Jamal is impressive in how much he's able to convert very difficult things. Michael Porter Jr. makes everything look easy. Everything looks easy for him. Everything. Just yeah. like he glides through the air. He just like, he drops in these fadeaways. Every, his tough shots look effortless. And with that ability and that size, given what he's shown, there's like zero question because I think Jamal's defense has been better than it ever has been this year. I think his passing has been better than it ever has been this year. I think he's been at times both impressively restrained in his emotions and frustrations and also determined in his consistency. Like Jamal's brought it every night. Jamal yeah. doesn't take nights off. Jamal doesn't disappear for the first two months of the season. He's there. Like Jamal comes to work every single night, no matter how hurt he is. And I have endless respect for that guy because of it. Michael Porter Jr. is more talented. He's just more talented. And he has the drive to be that star. He's been willing to adapt to his circumstances. He's frustrated, I think, that you know it would be easier for him to be on Phoenix. It would be easier for him to be in Orlando. But he's adjusting, and he's earning his minutes. And by next season, he's going to be too good to hold back. And so for me, it's Michael Porter Jr., and it's not even a question. You mentioned earlier how it's either the Murray show or he's kind of playing an off-ball role and not doing as much, letting other guys set up. I kind of agree with you. I think that, that it certainly has trended that direction. There haven't been as many opportunities this year from what I've seen where he gets the ball to Jokic on the four-on-three where, where he get, he hits him on the short roll and Jokic is then able to play make. Uh, that's the ideal version of Murray that I'd want to see. And I'd also like to see him be able to run certain sets with other players. He usually is just playing with Jokic. And, and while you want Jokic involved with everything that you do because he's Jokic, 
there have been a lot of opportunities for Murray in particular to play with other guys, to really have sets with other players that, that can make other players better and make everybody dynamic. I wonder if the way to help them be better is just to change up the offense a little bit, install some more sets where Jokic just isn't involved as much, where Jokic is, is kind of getting a break, where or he's the facilitator on one end while Murray and Porter are running sets on the other, or they're screening for each other, or maybe it's just a Murray-Porter pick and pop. I, I, I don't know what the answer is with those guys, and there may not be an answer just with the way the Jokic runs the offense and with the way that Denver's really set up right now. But I, I want to get your thoughts on that, because I think that if – if the Nuggets want Murray, Porter, and Jokic to be their trio, I feel like they need a way to have those guys work symbiotically with each other so that if Jokic is off the floor but Murray and Porter are both out there, you want them to be able to work together as opposed to uh, doing isolations and playing separately. So I think I think a lot of this is – who does Jamal have chemistry with? Like, that's an interesting question. Because he averages 1.9 assists per game to Nicola. He averages 0.7 to Gary, um, who's shooting 43% on passes from Jamal because Gary hasn't been able to hit water this season. Right. Um, he throws 0.6 to Paul and 0.5 to Will. So your three and your four, he throws a combined one assist per game to um, Paul only shoots 42% off of, off of Murray assists. Uh, Will only shoots 41% off of Murray assists. Mason, he only throws 0.2 assists per game to Mason Plumley. Uh, in all those, those bench minutes, he was averaging 0.1 to Malik, 0.1 to Tori. Like I asked this very seriously, like who does he have chemistry with? Like who does he have like real synergy with? Because they effectively just like put him in a colon. We're like, we're just going to run 50 pick and roll until you get it. And he got it and he got good. And in the playoffs, you can do that. Like that's one of the things that's kind of interesting is like in the playoffs, Jamal's great because you can't do all sorts of fancy complex offense. Cause they'll pick it off because they've researched and, and broken down your scouting report and everyone's actually doing the work, the homework in the playoffs and you have smart players all over the floor. So a lot of your complex offense, Adam would disagree with this heavily, but a lot of your offense gets stymied because of what the defense is prepared for then. So that's why it's good to be like, no, no, no we're just going to hammer you over the head with Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic pick and roll over and over and over again. And we're going to break you with it. And it worked. Sure. Worked pretty effectively and was probably going to work this year. Um, my question then is like, can you build chemistry with Jamal and Porter and I don't look. I don't know the answer to this question. I don't. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. I, I'm. The the key question here is, will those two trust each other enough? Because like, look, the reality, they're teammates, and they're going to say like, no, I love my teammates, and and these things. Jamal has plans for his career, and they got derailed in part because Jokic became the best player on the team first, and then second, like if MPJ gets to that level, what happens? Like. You know, Jamal got his max contract, his money's taken care of, but he still has designs on his career. And so it's just like, if, if I think if Jamal were to be like, you know what, I got my money, I'm part of a winning team, like this is what matters, I don't care, and was just like, I'm going to make them pay no matter what they choose. I'm going to dish it to Porter, and if he's open, he's knocking it down. If they don't, I'm rising up uncontested for a mid-ranger. Like, 
that would be great. But I have questions about whether or not the trust is there and the execution and the attention to detail between the two of them. Cause like, it's not like the Jamal's become a much better passer in the Nuggets system. He is not instinctively a brilliant passer. He doesn't have great passing feel. He has exceptional feel for the game. I don't think he has great passing feel inherently. He's worked really hard to develop it with his teammates, but I do, I, he's made better passes this season than I've ever seen him make. But I, I don't think you can just be like, oh, let's just throw in some of this stuff. And I think it could be clunky and awkward and could cause consternation between the two. Yeah, it's very possible those guys aren't going to be used to that sort of setup anyway. Uh, with the way that the Nuggets like to run offense through Jokic, it's a lot of off-ball cutting. It's a lot of screens. It's a lot of, hey, if, if we have it with Murray, we're going to ball screen for you. And then you're going to get it to Jokic or you're going to try to find an area for yourself. And that's just been the way that he's grown up with this Nuggets offense. And I wonder if there's a way or if, if they're at least early enough in his development now that they could trust him to try to work in this player. Because if that trust isn't there, if that ability and, and that determination and that willingness to do whatever it takes to win, even if it might look a little bit weird at the beginning, if that doesn't stick, then I, I think you're probably right. I think you at, at that point have to make a choice between those two players and the choice at, at this point, like we, we haven't seen what's next for Porter. We don't know whether he's going to continue trending upward, as you said, but if he does, if we, if that's what he, what we think he'll do, then I think the choice is pretty easy. As you said, you go with Porter, you go with Jokic and you build as great of a team as you can around those two players. And you just move away from Murray in that case. That's a tough call though, because the Nuggets have really committed to Murray. They've, they've, Gave him that max deal. It's hard to get off of that at this point, and they may have to reap some consequences if that's the direction they choose to go. Yeah, and there's just like a lot of things that are up in the air, and you know, changes tend to come suddenly in the NBA and and often without warning. But then you look back and you're like, we had a bunch of signs. But on the other flip side of this, it's just like this is the most patient front office I've ever seen. I've just I've never. I've never seen a more patient front office than this one that is very determined not to make a misstep in jumping too soon. So like if changes have to be made eventually, I don't know like what that's going to look like. I do think though that the other thing, like, so uh, early on in the season when they were struggling and Jokic was, you know, didn't care about anything. Uh, <laughs> our colleague Brendan Vogt was like, do you feel like you guys need to get Jokic more involved? Like, isn't some of this that you guys need to give him the ball more? And Will Barton was like, yeah, you know, we can run some different sets and like kind of thought about it. And he stopped and was like, no, you know what? He's the best player on the team. We gave him the ball enough. Like we just got to make plays. Like we just got to go to work. Like it was, and that's what I love about Will is like his willingness to do stuff like that. To be like, no, I'm not going to give the can answer here. That's ridiculous. Nicola gets the ball enough. He's just doing this thing. Um, if you, if you're just like, oh, we're going to kind of like move the offense away from Jokic, that's going to cause problems because everybody's just like, why are you not doing the thing that's obviously the best thing for you? Like, why are you not like Jokic needs to touch the ball every single possession? The same way that like Dirk needed to touch the ball every single possession or Kobe needed to touch the ball every single possession. LeBron needs to touch the ball. Well, maybe not LeBron. That's a little bit much, but like the the level to which and like this, like if you struggle at all, like if you struggle even in the and here's like even if you win that way. Even if you're winning and you're like, everybody contributed, which is, I think, what Nicola wants, then everybody's going to be like, the Nuggets won. 
but where's Nikola Jokic? Like that's that's the problem. <laughs> it's ridiculous, like, but it's but you're right. Yeah, like that's that's where you're at now. Is like, look, you're gonna have to find ways in order to get everybody shots. And the good news is, is that your best player is the best passing big man and maybe the best passer in the NBA. So you should be able to find him. You know, he's perfectly willing. Nicole is always willing to have an eight point night if he gets 15 assists. So, you know, you're going to, you'll have shot opportunities if you work for him, but that means guys are going to be like, this is another thing is like, are they going to be comfortable without the ball in their hands? This is a big thing. You know, if you, if you add Beal and you have Beal and Murray and, and Porter, like Gary Harris was great in that he didn't need it. He was like, okay, I'll work off ball. It's fine. Like I'll take my chance. Like I'll find my spots. And Will's been great in that respect. Like Will, since he started, he moved into the starting spot. It's just been like, when we need, like when I need to, to, to handle the ball, we'll create and then we'll find other ways and we'll make sure Jokic touches it. And he worked and built chemistry with Jokic. But like everybody else is going to have to accept that they don't get the ball all the time. And that, that gets tough. It's going to be interesting, and I, I I look forward to seeing how they handle that dynamic because, like you said, that's that is a tough one to navigate. And one of the reasons why I think Jokic would receive so much hate there was even though the Nuggets were winning, they were they were thirteen and three, thirteen and four at the beginning of the season, but they were only winning by five points, ten points against bad teams too, and sometimes they would even drop some bad ones. And so, if they're winning by twenty five, doing that. I think it looks a lot different. I think people feel a lot different about the way that Jokic would kind of move away from the center figure of the offense and just giving everybody as much opportunity as they can to shine. And that that could be the meta. That could be what they decide is the best course of action for them is to have three elite scorers around Jokic, have him be the fourth option offensively as a scorer, and just go forward like that. But I don't think that's what they do. I don't think that makes a lot of sense either. I feel like your your best player probably has to be your highest scorer, if not at least close to it. Um, and and that, that leads me into the championship discussion. You've talked about the team's championship odds. You've talked about Jokic winning an MVP. I know that you've got a, an article on the Action Network coming out soon about Jokic specifically. Everybody should go check that out in relative short order. Um, just... Give me your general overview. What do you think of this team's championship odds going forward if they bring back a starting lineup of Murray, Barton, Porter, Grant, and Jokic? I think that's probably the most likely unit we see. I actually don't agree. Um, Interesting. Yeah, what would it be for you? Uh, Murray, X-Trade acquisition, Porter, Grant, Jokic. Wow. So. I Wow. That's That's... That's a big deal. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'll tell you this. They're not going to bench Gary Harris, and they're not going to trade him for nothing. So they're not going to trade him unless it's for a star. So if Gary's on the team next year, Gary starts, and it's Murray, Gary, Barton, Grant, Jokic. I'm surprised by that. That, that That to me seems like something where they could sell him on being the sixth man for this team that plays upwards of 25 minutes a night and still has a major role as long as he's coming off the bench and poor and Barton and Porter are the guys who are in the starting unit. You don't, you don't see it that way. I think one justifying to ownership is going to be difficult based off of the money that they're paying Gary. Right. Okay. Like, if Gary's at that salary figure, how do you justify like, why, why is he coming off the bench if we're paying him that much? And then like Gary's just been there and he's been a part of the culture and he's 
felt his way in and Malone can trust him and that's a big deal. And it's just very hard to make that decision and it impacts all the other veterans because now you're like, is my job safe? Like it's different with Paul who's 35, right? Like Paul, it's easy. It's easy with Paul. Like Paul's fine. Like Paul's fine with it. If that happens, Paul's going to be like, I'm still going to try and bust your ass in training camp and earn my starting spot. But if I lose, then like I'm 35, what do you expect? Right. But it's entirely different with Gary and Will's going to be the same way. Like we thought that there was an open competition for the three spot this year. And Will came into training camp and was like, ha funny, <laughs> funny. I'm better than everyone than all of the other guys at this position. So like, I don't think that there's, I, I, and one, I just, I do believe that they're going to, uh, they'll make a move. Now the caveat here is the impact of the coronavirus and the pandemic on shutting down the league and the salary cap implications. So like, it's possible that when play resumes, Gary's been amnestied. Uh, it's possible when players well, that um, like, it'd be, it would, should be shocking to me. Like I, you know, I think they could get something for him, but it's possible if, if play resumes, like the Cronkies have just said, like, no, 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 we have to get it down to 90 million now. Like we've lost so much money between the TV deal and everything else. Like we got to hit the floor and they just start selling off stuff. Um, doesn't seem likely given their opportunity to win a title, but you know, Crocky's lost a lot. Cron- lost a lot of money in this thing, like a, like a lot of people did. Um, and so, like that, all brings stuff into really inconsistent situations. But for me, my belief is that if Will Barton and Gary Harris are still on the team next year, I would expect them to start. And a lot of it's just going to be, even if Michael Porter Jr. is clearly the most talented guy and has made all these improvements, he's still probably not going to know what he's doing enough to have earned the starting spot. And again, he'll probably start by season's end but they'll take an injury to get him out of there. I think that the starting spot would still be, um, would still be Harris Barton. Wow. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's a, a amnesty and Gary Harris would be a pretty dark timeline. That would be, that would be really tough. Just what he's, what he's done for the team too. I mean, look, if you have the amnesty, cause Mason's up this year, if you have the amnesty and you have everybody else and the cap goes down by $15 million, and Cronky's just like, we're not paying a luxury tax. Not happening. Under no circumstances am I doing that. Uh, and you're not trading, you're not getting rid of Jokic, and you're not getting rid of Jamal. And, you know, Paul comes back at whatever number he comes back, and you got to re-sign Grant. Maybe that's how you do it. Maybe you just let Grant go, and then you just keep Gary, but then your team is decidedly worse. Yeah. This Look, th- this is one of those things, man, is that, depending on what happens with the cap, they could get serious because like the teams, there are teams that are going to take advantage of the situation and there are teams that are going to be victimized by the situation. The Houston Rockets are going down. Like that's, yeah. they're going that's, down. That's happening. Um, but the Nuggets, this, this organization um, has, not had a TV deal for either the Avs or the Nuggets all season. They lost all that revenue. Then they lost the gate. Then they potentially lose the playoff revenue on top of the China loss for a, for an organization that has never been known to be big spender ballers. Like the, I have no doubt that the Cronkies will make whatever moves they need to in order to secure their financial position. 
because of the amount that they leverage themselves in moving the Rams to Los Angeles. Like that's part of this equation too. Right. You know, and they'll probably make that money. They'll probably be fine with the Rams because the NFL is probably going to go ahead no matter what. Right. Like California announced today sporting events June 30th um, or June 1st rather. So like they're probably fine on that end, but the Cronkies were not doing great this year before the pandemic. And they're not a team that I, I, I trust to be like, screw it. Like, we got a chance to win a title. So, like, there could be real drastic changes. And I just don't know, like, if, you're, if your choice is between – like, that's actually an interesting question. If you have to get under, the, under a drastically lowered cap and your choices are between Amnesty and Gary Harris, a quality, all-defense-level starting two-guard, or letting Jeremy Grant go, what do you do? It's fascinating. That's a that's a tough thing. I mean, I I've made this very well known just over the last few months that I think that Jeremy Grant is the the prototype, or at least as close as the Nuggets can get to a prototype for that price to fit between Porter and Jokic. So I I would probably amnesty Gary in that situation, and that's a really tough thing. That's you you never want to give away a player like that for nothing that's wild it's insane like what i just said is insane but we live in insane times ryan it's that's unbelievable living insane times I, original question though um i think that if they come back next year and let's say that uh let's say they do not add they don't add, they don't trade for a star and you're right and they and gary just goes to the bench and uh barton starts next to mpj grant and Jokic. Um, I think their title chances probably dip considerably. I think they're probably at that point, you know, seven to one, uh, eight to one to win the NBA title, 10 to one, maybe probably higher than that. Probably 15 to one is where I would probably settle because you're inserting an unproven guy. You're taking out a, a veteran, good defensive player. Gary Harris for the majority of his career has been a positive. Um, like, I think that there's just like a lot of ways that that winds up being like uh, that team has longer odds. Maybe they're better, but like in preseason, the Nuggets were plus 2000 to win the title in this preseason. Okay. Right. By March 1st, they were plus 2,500. So like next year, forget what I said about 1500. They're probably, um, they're probably plus like 10,000, a hundred to one odds to win the NBA title. Wow. See, I, I would have gone the other way on that, honestly, like that are maybe not, maybe not above 10 to one or, or, or seven to eight to one or anything like that. But I, I honestly would consider that having the name value of Porter in there, knowing that he would start, I think that that would, that would really draw up the odds and, and not necessarily, not necessarily drag them down despite being the fact that he's an inexperienced guy. Um, uh, it's just, it's an interesting conversation though because you you want to give your team the best possible odds to win a championship if at all possible and then trading away a guy like Gary Harris or sending him to the bench it, dis, despite the fact that Porter could be really really good is is like you said it's it, it would be worse for their odds than anything else uh, are there ways that they can dramatically increase those odds so I think if they add um... If they add Bradley Beal, I think the number probably gets down to plus 800. Like, that's where yeah. I think they end up. 
is like plus 800. If they had Bradley Beal, if they had Drew Holiday, you're probably at plus 1,000. Um, if you had Chris Paul, you're probably at plus 1,200, something like that. If you had, if you had, yeah. if you had Zach Levine, you're probably at plus 30, like plus. <laughs> Anything worse than where they are right now, that's for sure. This is like, there's so much hype around Porter. You also have to consider like what the books are going to think. Like the books are not going to expect Porter to go and go out and be an all-star next year. They're not going to expect him to be the leading scorer on the team. I said there was a chance that he could be the leading scorer on the team next year. Like when we did an over-unders thing um, with, with Mares, like I said that it was possible for him to do that already. Um, and it is, but like it's probability, right? And like the odds, right. you have to do all this and then you have to beat the Lakers or the Bucks or both of them. And the Clippers, like, there's a lot of things that you got to do in order to to get through this entire thing. Um, so I think the odds would still be pretty long. I don't think there's the only way that the odds for the Nuggets. The other thing I'll say is this: is having done the odds long enough, like the unpopular small market teams always have longer odds, and that's how Denver is treated, regardless of their market size. Like they're treated as a small market by the odds makers. Like they're they're a sexy pick for the analytics wonks, but they're never going to get the kind of public action that's going to drive those numbers to short. So sure. like they're, they would still be pretty high regardless. Like they were second in the West last year, the Warriors imploded. They lost nobody. They're returning all of this great talent and they were still, still plus 2000 to win the title in preseason. Like nobody, I'll say this too. Like nobody believes in them as a playoff team, which I think is insane because they already beat a playoff team, uh, which is like they've tied Melo for what playoff for playoff series for first round one <laughs> yeah but if if Mello was on this team if he was on this roster then their odds would be higher would they uh but like plus- uh, no, no, I'm, I'm joking of course but like like not not in reality but the but the odds would be higher like that the odds it would be would put it. <laughs> yeah um but like uh yeah so like um the end they, they almost beat the the blazers so it's just like i think that there's a a a larger than necessary doubt on them. But like also, you know, they were down, if you look at this course of the season, they were down to plus 1600 on, on February 1st. So 16 to one on February 1st. And then the Clippers game happened. Not good. That one, that one shifted a lot of the conversation about Denver. Yeah. Same thing happened the previous season when the Warriors came to town with something to prove as well. Uh, okay, well, this has been a great conversation. Last thing before I let you go, circling back to MPJ one last time, I want you to predict his stat line for the 2020-21 season. Let's go minutes, points, rebounds, assists, and then, if you care, field goal percentage, three-point percentage. Okay, okay. Uh, let's go. He's going to average 30 minutes a game flat. Okay. He's going to average, uh, man, 30 minutes a game. Uh, he's going to average 18 points, eight, okay. points, 1.5 assists, shoot 46.5. Five percent from the field with a thirty nine point five percent from three point range. Um, 
and will be a plus three in net rating differential. That's pretty good. And, and, and we didn't collude on this at all, but I'm going to list you what I just, what I had written down before we started talking 27 minutes per game, 18 points, eight rebounds, 1.5 assists, 51% from the field and 39% from three. That's insane. I, I, we didn't collude on that at all, but all of those lined up pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, I think he's going to do it faster. That's like, the point. yeah. Uh, it's, it should be fun. I, I, he, his numbers just get wild. They, they really do. I'm, and and I, I looked at some of this when, when you talk about guys who don't necessarily play 30 minutes a night, can they get up to that threshold? And the answer is yes. Uh, somebody like Zion Williamson, he, he was up that high and then that doesn't happen. Like you don't get a lot of Zion Williamson's of course, but there are players throughout history who have put up that level of point production in that level of minutes. And, and I think that he can be that guy. And they're, they're probably not going to play him a ton. I wouldn't expect him to crack 30 minutes per game. So I'm, I'm interested to seeing if he does. But, I mean, 18 points, 8 rebounds for a second-year player is pretty nuts from a, from the forward position. Pretty good. He's pretty good. He's going to be <laughs> up to everything. He's going to be <clears> – I've said Mara's not going to talk about this. I think he's going to be the most popular nugget um, – he has a he has a legit. Here's what's crazy about MPJ. This kid at 21 years old has a legit chance to be the greatest player in franchise history. I believe that he has a chance to be wow. the great. He can be better than David Thompson. He can be better than Fat Lever. He can be better than Alex English. He can be better than Carmelo Anthony. He can be better than Nikola Jokic. He can be the best player in franchise history. He can be the guy everyone thinks of as. Denver Nuggets. That's how good he can be. We'll see if he can get there. On that note, Matt, it was great to have you on. Good to talk to you during this pandemic. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Of course, you can follow all of his work at HP Basketball. Uh, does great work for the Action Network and Locked On Nuggets with Matt with Adam Morris, a good friend of the program, of course. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. Enjoy your night. Thanks for having me.